I am joined on the phone now by BC's Minister of Health, Mr. Adrian Dix. Minister Dix, how are you today? Good morning, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you being here. Um, so first question, yesterday, no daily briefing. And, uh, you know, just from what I'm guessing, it's sort of a bit of a winding down of just how often these are going to happen. They're going to keep happening. But just why is it feeling like now is an appropriate time to start having fewer of these news conferences? Well, we're not having many fewer. I think we're doing uh, four this week. Um, what happens on Wednesday, I think the Premier gives a briefing, uh, his one, once-a-week briefing at 1.15 on Wednesday. Okay. So we thought we'd uh, we'd give the media a break yesterday and, uh, and uh, just do that briefing. We did provide, though, all the information we provide with respect to cases at 3 o'clock, and we're going to be continuing to do that as well. So the key is to keep people informed, uh, and we're going to be doing a briefing today at 3 o'clock. We did one so Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday this week, which is quite a few, mm-hmm. and um, and we're going to keep uh, keep keeping people informed. We've been doing these, I think, for seventeen weeks now. And it feels feels like it feels like quite a while, and uh, we're going to keep doing. Okay, perfect, fair enough. Um, I guess we'll just let uh, Premier John Horgan, I guess, have his day here yesterday. Um, well, <laughs> well, yeah, I th- I think it was it was useful, and, you know. To, to a degree, um, the nature of this has changed uh, mm-hmm. in an important respect. We've gone from phase one and f- to phase two. And there are very significant questions continuing on healthcare. I mean, we, um, we can anticipate a second surge of COVID-19 if we look at the history of pandemics, that's certainly true. So we have to prepare for that and continue to flatten the curve in healthcare. But obviously there's some very significant economic issues um, that uh, everyone's dealing with that are maybe the most significant economic issues that uh, our communities have faced in my lifetime. Um, so just building off of, of kind of following up with pre- Premier John Horgan's uh, news yesterday, one of the things that he did talk about was that BC could be developing its own paid sick leave program, but he does insist the federal government should be taking the lead on such an effort, but I just feel like it is a, a critical piece to have some of these programs in place in order for people to properly, you know, heed the advice of a provincial health officer and not go into work sick if you're feeling at all unwell. Um, so I just wanted to kind of ask about, uh, you know, how you feel about the fact that BC and, and our Premier here is is willing to take on uh, these paid sick leave programs. If the federal government doesn't come to the table, then it still looks like our provincial government's going to be there. How critical do you think these types of programs are to make sure that people are staying home if they're feeling unwell? Look, first of all, it should be national because, and if anything t- tells us that this is a country together, uh, it's this thing here. If what happens in Ontario and Quebec, given that we're a country and people travel back and forth in that country, what happens in Ontario and Quebec and Nova Scotia and Alberta, it matters here. So it should be a national, we, we need to look at these things in national terms to ensure that we um, we uh, stop the transmission as much as possible of COVID-19. I mean, one of the key principles, though, is not to go into work sick. And uh, I know it's difficult, even in the absence of such policies, but people have to not go into work sick. It's critical um, for all of us and for the safety and so that there's a responsibility both for employers and employees to make sure that doesn't happen and make adjustments in their businesses to make sure that that happens. And so I think um, the issue the Premier is talking about is a, is a very, very important issue. We've seen it, and we've seen it in the way um, the virus can spread in individual workplaces. Um, and so the largest outbreak in BC, for example, is at the Mission um, uh, Institution. Uh, it affected both guards and prisoners. In that case, 134 um, uh, cases. The, 
we had a very large um, uh, outbreak at a dental conference, which affected 87 people directly and many more indirectly. So, the, and and of course, we've had some in terms of uh, chicken chicken uh, processing plants in both Vancouver and in Coquitlam in the in Metro Vancouver showed the same thing. So all of these show that 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 is very important to stay home when you're sick and so anything we can do to help that i'm for um one of the things too that uh, i think has been getting some attention here in bc at least from the people i have talked to is just the the issue around masks and there just seems to be i'm not going to say it's a significantly different message but a little bit of a different message coming from dr bonnie henry as compared to dr Teresa tam yesterday she started recommending that people start wearing masks in public where uh dr bonnie henry has kind of been more on if you can't physical distance and you're in some of those you know transit or a small store where you just can't have the ability to, to properly physical distance that a mask would be good in those situations, but not necessarily recommending it for just daily, uh, you know, use. So I, I just wanted to know if there is any uh, concern that there isn't a, 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 a straight line message, I guess, coming from both our provincial health officer and our federal health officer. Well, two things. One, um, sometimes the advice does evolve, right? And we don't want people just to stick to one point of view as the evidence changes, right? So. We, we want to get the best advice. And uh, and that doesn't mean sticking to the same thing if you see evidence changing. So I think we have to accept the fact that sometimes advice will change. Um, and in fairness to Dr. Tam, I think that's important to recognize. Uh, I think from the beginning, I mean, I've been standing um, uh, not beside, but in the in, in, in the room with Bonnie Henry as she's given uh, presentations over the last 17 weeks. And, and what she's consistently said about masks is this, that non-surgical masks can be useful in protecting other people, right? They can be useful, but they're not a replacement for more important things. The most important thing we can do, aside from not going to work and going to school sick, right, is to stay physically distant, right? And, and sometimes I've observed, as I live my life in the world during this pandemic, that sometimes people wearing masks don't observe physical distance because they think, they're somehow protected from needing to do that. The most important thing is physical distance. Things like administrative or engineering changes, limiting the number of people in the store or having plexiglass, they're valuable and really important because they stop the links of transmission. Uh, and wearing a, uh, um, a non-medical mask can be useful in protecting other people and where physical distancing uh, can't be maintained. And that's something that Dr. Henry has said from the beginning. But I think that, um, uh, you know, I think over time, um, we haven't, uh, you know, over time, the advice has, has evolved a little bit and the importance of it's evolved. Here's, here's what I think, though, is really important. I think a lot of people, and this is natural, it's natural for me, it's natural for you, it's natural for everyone, wants a silver bullet, right? If we just wear masks, we can do everything we did before. Well, that is not the case. It's not going to be the case. We're in a new normal. We have a pandemic without a vaccine and without a cure, which means that we have to change our behavior, physical distancing and staying home with their sick and washing your hands all the time. These are our tools to live in the world with COVID-19. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess there is that fear of a false sense of security that could potentially come with, uh, with I guess, a mass wearing of masks. And I, I can understand that. If I could suggest to your uh, listeners, because mm-hmm. it doesn't come from the government, there's an article by a guy named Dr. Davidicus Wong, 
who writes in uh, in the Burnaby Now, which I think is a Glacier Media paper, uh, and he wrote a really good article arguing, talking about both the risks and the advantages of masks. And I recommend that to people if uh, if they're interested in reading. I don't want to recommend another media source there, Adi Jeff, but I think that's a really useful one coming from someone who's a doctor in the community. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll take a look at that myself. I appreciate the uh, suggestion. Um, I did want to ask a little bit while I had you too about surgeries because as we're moving into phase two, of course, there is a ramping up of, of scheduled surgeries starting to uh, you know be back in operation. We're seeing more people start to get those, of course, much needed surgical procedures done. And with that, of course, there still remains a need to keep a lot of hospital beds and ICU beds in particular open to deal with COVID-19. So just how do you balance that? How do you balance the need to keep beds open for potential coronavirus outbreaks while also making sure people are getting the required surgeries that they need? Very carefully. So first thing we're doing is it's taking longer to do surgeries because we're doing, we have more requirements in terms of PPE, different requirements in terms of intubation and other things. So we're not able to do surgeries as quickly and that's a challenge, but we have to be prudent and careful for the people both um, doing the surgeries and the people and the patients who are getting surgery. So that's the first thing. I think the I think the second thing is yes, we have to maintain that capacity to deal with uh, COVID-19 in our hospitals, and that means um, uh, being smart about uh, increasing the hours we uh, we do surgery. Um, so we're going to be adding hours uh, in the summer and, and from then on, and and potentially on weekends in order to uh, do more surgeries right in a safe way with our existing facilities. Thirdly, where we have a Canada Health Act contracts, contracts with private clinics, we're using those as well, which we always have and which we'll continue to do. And uh, so we're essentially giving as much effort now to reducing these, to the surgery wait list that has come as a result of COVID-19 as we did to COVID-19. But we've got to balance it off and we're certainly preparing as well for what we're going to do in the fall when we co- we're concerned about another surge of COVID-19, what we're going to do then and in the period leading into then to make sure we know what to do if COVID-19 comes to a hospital, one. And two, of course, to to um, to manage our medical system so that we can do both um, uh, surgeries and deal with COVID-19 at the same time. So it's a big challenge, but I think our our, our medical teams are up to it at Royal Inland and everywhere else. Uh, but we're going to have to be prudent and we're going to have to be safe. And uh, one more question here for you, Minister Dix. Uh, just in talking about, I know the, yesterday the federal government announced that the border closure with the United States for non-essential travel will be extended a month, right? It was set to expire today, uh, but that's going to be extended for another month. I know that's something that you personally had been calling for and our premier had been calling for as well. Uh, but just when we look at uh, what happened yesterday in terms of the global numbers of new COVID-19 cases, more than 106,000 new cases across the world, which was the single uh, biggest single-day rise uh, in a 24-hour period that has been recorded so far during this pandemic. I mean, just when we're talking about international travel and then also see those massive numbers, just how important do you think it is? And you kind of touched on this before, just to make sure that we are, um, you know, not inviting people in because it's really, really tough and really challenging, I think, and, and probably fearful if we start seeing people coming in from other countries, especially when we're seeing massive amounts of new cases. Well, that's right. And we know, for example, in long-term care, Metro Vancouver, the reason it really came to Metro Vancouver and not to other parts of the province is in part due to the fact that a lot of our transmission came from Washington State, from people from B.C. And it feels like a constitutional right sometimes of going down to Washington to to shop or 
to work or to do whatever they will do in Washington State, and that really affects Metro Vancouver more than anywhere else, parts of the Kootenays as well, uh, to, to Spokane. To Spokane. So, um, uh, you know, we saw the impact of that in transmission here. We saw the impact of one dental conference where people came from around the world to the spread of COVID-19 in BC, 87 direct cases of people who are at the conference and um, a significant number of indirect cases. So what we're doing, uh, what I believe, is that the United States um, still has a significant problem that with COVID-19 that seems not to be handled as well as it might be. And we're hoping it is. We're hoping what they're doing is going to be successful for them because, you know, they're our neighbors and our friends. Uh, but I don't think we're ready yet to have visitors from Canada go down to the United States and come back. I don't think we're ready for visitors from the United States. And this is true for other jurisdictions. And in BC, in addition to that, we're taking, we've taken steps that really no one else took earlier than everyone else has considered them to ensure that people self-isolate when they return. Many Canadians live abroad and they're coming home to Canada at this time. And we've got to continue to ensure that they're self-isolated so that we don't increase transmission here. What we don't want to see is a relaunch of COVID-19 in communities um, now or during this period when we're trying to open up our economy a little bit. So we've got to continue to take those measures we need. No no um, gatherings over 50 people, um, limiting uh, people coming into Canada, ensuring that if people, Canadians, return to Canada, they're self-isolating for two weeks. These are basic measures that I think need to continue for some time. Well, Minister, thank you so much for your time here today. Really do appreciate it. And uh, again, like I said, thank you for coming on here on a weekly basis. It's been uh, very informing, so thank you. Hey, great. Thank you, Jeff. That was British Columbia Health Minister Adrian Dick.